and welcome to the Nosy Fox Podcast with me, Natasha Murta. Each episode will be an interview with someone that I find interesting and has a story to tell that I believe is worth sharing. Some of the people I'll be talking to are people that I know, but some are strangers that for one reason or another, I wanted to get to know. This is a podcast about people and storytelling, two of my favorite things. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. I'm not sure if I believe in soulmates. If there was only one soulmate for each of us on this planet, the chances of finding them would be pretty small. But I do believe that there are certain people in life that we are meant to meet, and that when we do, they will have a lasting effect on you for the rest of your life. These people will make you feel something that you've never felt before, whether it's amazing love, a friendship like no other, someone you see as a role model or perhaps a mentor. Or maybe it's somebody that just had a really strong impact on you and that you think of every now and then. In 2016, when I was living in Guatemala in Central America, I met a girl from Canada called Nuria. Nuria was working for a non-profit organization that helped children. We hit it off instantly, and despite living thousands of miles apart, we have since been to four different countries and hiked two different mountain ranges together. I have never in my life had a friend like Nuria, nor have I ever admired a woman like I do her. She has taught me what true friendship is. She has taught me about boundaries and self-worth. She has taught me about the world, politics, different cultures and different history. She has taught me about people and emotions, words and feelings. This is a poem by Rupi Kerr called I Want to Apologise and it's always made me think of Nuria. I want to apologise to all the women I have called beautiful before I've called them intelligent or brave. I am sorry I made it sound as though something as simple as what you're born with is all you have to be proud of when you have broken mountains with your wit. From now on, I will say things like you are resilient or you are extraordinary. Not because I don't think you're beautiful, but because I need you to know you are more than that. Last year at the beginning of the pandemic, while Nuria was living alone in Brussels, Belgium, her 26-year-old younger brother Adam suddenly died. Because of travel restrictions, Nuria couldn't fly home to Canada to say goodbye. Instead, she had to watch him being buried over Zoom, alone in her apartment. It didn't seem like Canada was going to be opening its borders anytime soon. So after a little bit of persuasion, Nuria flew to Ireland and spent the summer here with me while she mourned the loss of her brother. In those three months, there were a lot of tears, but there's also a lot of happiness, a lot of laughter, sea swims, hiking, camping, good food and good wine. My guest on this week's episode of the Nosy Fox podcast is the amazing Nuria Elcott. But this is not an episode solely on friendship. This is an episode about grief and heartbreak and how the strongest woman that I know came through the other side. Nuria starts off our conversation by talking about some of the highs and lows of being in lockdown. I think my highest points were definitely all of the moments that I was able to be in nature and when the restrictions were a little bit looser and I could see people that I love and care about. Um, that's definitely the high points throughout this entire thing, but there really isn't any 
consistency to it. So it's not like there was a long period of a high point or a long period of a low point. It's a day or two here of being high and a day or two here of being low. Um, and it's kind of taught me that no matter what, after the low points, there will be high points again. And after the high points, you're going to experience the low points again. And so it makes you almost appreciate them more. So, so far, there hasn't been any moment in the last 10, 11 months where you felt happy or that was your your best or highest point? No, I don't think there has been, to be honest. I feel like what I've, I've, I've had a lot of lows and I think the lowest point was when my younger brother passed. I was in Brussels and it was May, so we had been in a lockdown for nearly almost 60 full days. Um, I think more than that, actually. And I was alone in the apartment. There wasn't really anything going on. There wasn't really a purpose to get out of bed. And then you compound that with the grief associated with losing someone you love. And I had been trying really hard throughout the lockdown to get out of bed at a reasonable hour, go on walks, work out every day, eat very healthy. And then after my brother passed, it just felt, all of that just felt pointless because no matter how hard I was trying to regulate myself, external things that aren't necessarily within our control are always able to bring us down when we least expect it. And so that was definitely my lowest point. And since then, I don't think I've had a very, I don't have a high point that I can remember because the entire thing has kind of been clouded by this grief. We're going to talk in detail about Adam dying and what that was like, but before we go there, I want to talk about your general emotional state throughout this period. And by this period, I mean the early stages of COVID, the pandemic, and the multiple lockdowns. You know, some people have managed to stay fairly positive or busy. They're still working. Some feel unlucky or hard done by or, um, you know, depressed or hopeless. You know, it's a very vague sort of question, but just almost to set the tone. What emotion do you feel best describes your state? I think throughout this period, the feeling that I have felt the most is a feeling of I wouldn't even use the word disappointment anymore because it's kind of beyond disappointment. You know, when something's taken away from you, you're disappointed, but now it's almost like there's an expectation that something is going to be taken away. I would say complacency in a way. Yeah. We're going to talk about Adam now, but just so people listening to this get an idea of what your situation was and your sort of background uh, you are Canadian yeah uh, you were living in Brussels at the time completing your master's and all of your family live in Canada and fairly early on in all of this when I say this the, the, the pandemic and the lockdown Canada closed its borders so even before your younger brother died getting home for you would have been pretty difficult Nuria, can you talk to me about 
the morning you found out Adam had died? I had drank a lot of wine the night before, and so I was very hungover. And I think if I were to describe myself generally, I would say I'm a very happy-go-lucky, easygoing person, very playful. I like to make a lot of jokes. And so the morning I remember giggling a lot and making a lot of jokes. Yeah, I remember that morning because you messaged me telling me that you were hungover and that you had been on a date that night and we were discussing it. But I have this really clear memory of your face implanted into your mattress as we video called and laughed. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I had fallen back asleep after chatting with you. And um, my older brother, Sammy, sent me a message and said, call me when you wake up, we need to talk. And I remember thinking, oh God, what is it now? I really don't have the emotional capacity in my current state to deal with any bad news. And I felt like I could just feel that it wasn't going to be something positive because usually my brother will just communicate via text or will just call me if he needs to say something, he won't ever ask permission or ask me to call him unless it's bad news. And so I've been conditioned to hesitate when he sends me those kinds of messages. And he sent me one and I said, oh God, who died now? And then I said, is it really important or is this something that can wait? And he said, it's up to you, Naria. And I asked him if Adam was okay and he said that I should call him as soon as I could. And I called him and he asked me, sorry, you didn't ask me. I called him and he told me that Adam had passed. And I just remember feeling the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. Um, almost disbelief as well. Um, and I remember just almost screaming that whole period is a little bit of a blur but I remember screaming and then just getting up because I was still hungover (laughs) Um, I remember getting up and taking a shower because I always feel safe in water Was that the first time in your life that you had felt grief? I think to that degree, that's the first time that I felt it. I have mourned the loss of a lot of things and a lot of people, but never someone so close and never someone so unexpectedly either because he was so young Um, and he was my younger brother. So you never really think that you're going to lose someone younger than you and when you think about your younger sibling you never really assume that you always assume that you're going to be buried before they are you never really think about what it will feel like when you have to say goodbye to them in the same way that you would like grandparents or your parents I mean it's not nice to think about but you always know that that's going to happen at some point and for this it was something that I never really Can you explain what you felt after Sammy told you that Adam had died and 
what you went through after that phone call and when you went to have that shower? I think I was in the shower for like hours. <laughs> um, I felt a wave or a rush. I felt a rush of anger, sadness, disappointment, regret. Yeah. Why regret? Because I could have reached out to him the day before or the week before and I didn't, or I should have called him more, or I should have gone home for the holidays. Or I should have made myself more present. And do you think his death could have been prevented by you being more present in the weeks and months leading up to his death? No, but I think that it would have helped me. I think it would have helped me feel like I was there for someone else. I don't think it would have changed the outcome. Um, and I mean, obviously it would not have, but when you realize you only have you have a limited amount of time to spend with someone then it makes you kind of want to spend it with them right um i don't want to talk about the details around how adam died but it was he did not kill himself it wasn't an intentional death and nuria you couldn't fly home to attend adam's funeral or be with your family. At that point, there were the two-week restrictions. And in Islam, the body has to be buried within 24 hours of someone dying. Um, and that has a lot of cultural reasons behind it, so I won't go too far into that. But because of the timeline, because Adam's body was found you know, the day after he died, they buried him essentially the next day. So the day that I found out, I was on a Zoom call for a wake, and then the next day, I was watching him being buried on Zoom. And so it all happened so quickly. Were you alone when you were watching the funeral? I was, yes. And what could you see on your laptop screen? Um, I was on a call with my sister and her family who live in New Jersey and my aunt and her family that live in Toronto because they also couldn't make it. Um, also because of the two week quarantine restrictions. And so I could see their faces and I could see them watching and I could see Adam's coffin being taken out of the car and brought in. And I could see a limited amount of interaction. I could see that there wasn't very many people at his funeral, which I felt like wasn't fair because I think everyone who knew or cared about someone should have the opportunity to be at the funeral. And I could see my older brother talking to my father and I haven't talked to my father in about 12 years. I don't know how long it's been for 
my older brother, but I think it's around then. So this is probably one of the first times that they've ever seen each other. And then I could see my father fall on the ground, I think, just overcome with grief and regret. Yeah. I know that we all deal with things differently, um, particularly when it comes to grief. But how did you find grieving Adam's death? And what were the weeks and months that followed like was there were there different stages or was there a process that you felt you went through I think with Adam dying it brought up a lot of of my past so a lot of the problems that I've had with my father kind of came to the surface um I spent a lot of time thinking about the time that Adam and I have had together and because I'm a little bit older than him I moved away from Ottawa, where we grew up, when Adam was um, 14. So a lot of it is really just in his childhood. That was the time where we had the most amount of time together. Um, And so I remember throughout the period that I was grieving him, I felt extremely tired. I was overcome with a lethargy that I've never really felt before. I didn't have energy for even the basic things that one would have energy for. Um, Talking about certain things, staying awake too long. I, I slept so much throughout that period, just from pure exhaustion. And... I remember feeling like the people that I, that were trying to be there for me while their intentions were good, I didn't think that it was helpful just because they didn't really understand what it felt like. And so I remember when people would reach out to me who have lost someone, you could tell in their language and the things that they were saying, there was more depth. And I found their messages and their words and their offers of support a little bit more. I don't want to say the word genuine because I think that the other people offering support and making themselves present were trying their best and weren't being genuine in their offers, but it felt more real. You said to me earlier that you regretted posting on your Facebook about Adam's death because you were overwhelmed with the amount of messages that you received and some of them made you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I think, you know, they say there's so many different stages of grief and they make it sound like it's almost a linear process, but it's not. All of those stages are kind of intertwined and then sometimes you'll feel one more than the other, personally. And I remember feeling angry a lot at people's nice intentions. Like some of the, you know, someone would send me one sentence on Facebook saying, I'm sorry. 
And, it, and that would make me angry because it felt like they were doing it almost to satiate their own egos and make sure that they did the right thing instead of really reaching out in a, in a way filled with love. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but that is how I felt at the time. It's probably hard to remember all of the different messages you received, but was there one message from someone that stood out? I think when, particularly when someone young dies, and especially in the way that Adam did, you know, just so unexpectedly, it can be really hard to know what to say. You don't want to just say, I'm sorry for your loss, because often the word loss doesn't fit. It's so much more than just a loss. You know, I'm sure you felt like your life was shattered and I'm sure your mum felt like that and your older brother and your sister and your dad. So what I'm asking is, was there one message that you really remember reading that made you feel truly comforted? Um, yeah, I met my friend's godfather at a wedding last in the summer of 2019. Sorry, this 2019? No, sorry, 2019. In the summer of 2019. And um, it was a really brief encounter. We'd only been chatting for a little bit, but we chat, chatted about a few things. And he sent me the most beautiful email, and I read it four or five times. And we barely know each other, and I found that email to be the most sincere um, words that really spoke to me. Would you like me to read it? I would love you to read it. Okay. Dear Naria, when we met at the wedding, I thought how lucky Keaton was to have you as a friend. I can spot generosity of spirit from a hundred paces. I saw on Facebook that your picture came up and I scrolled a little. I just learned from Keaton that the loss you suffered is a close one one of the most baffling and one of the most difficult to accept. By my age, I have had many losses, but some came when I was still very young and left me on a different planet. I think I begin to understand at least some. I mean it sincerely when I say that I was deeply moved to learn of the death of your brother. Unlike most people today, I still say prayers even if I have a sense that there is no more than one chance in 5,000 that there is something beyond all this. But as I say, those odds are good enough for me. So with the decent chance out there just beyond our fingertips, I have already introduced your brother to some terrific people who know how to bring together a fine table with good cheer, love, and many laughs. Sorry. I'm going to reread that. <laughs> so with that decent chance out there just beyond our fingertips, I have already introduced your brother to some terrific people who know how to bring together a fine table with good cheer, love, many laughs, and show off food that would make a French man weep. <laughs> already they have welcomed him among their number. My sincere sympathy for your loss and your family's loss. 
at a time of grief and enormous love. John. I remember reading this um, because I got it on July 16th when I was at your house. And I read it. I read it almost every day until I felt like I almost had the words memorized. And it was a stranger. I met him once. We hadn't spoken since. But the words really felt they were just so beautiful. Nuria, I know it's only been not even six months, but how do you feel about Adam's death now? I feel as though I've accepted it. I'm no longer in disbelief. I think about him every day. Um, sometimes in a way that makes me sad and Usually that's when I think about the fact that I'll never see him again. But a lot of the times it's in a way that makes me quite happy. And it's about some silly things he would do or just about the happy memories that we have together. And so I feel like I'm still in a process of grief. I feel like you never really stop. Grieving someone that's gone, you just almost learn how to the grief becomes part of you. Yeah, I suppose you learn how to live with it. And you learn how to incorporate it into who you are. Nuria, would you say you're religious? No, I'm not. Do you believe in heaven or an afterlife or anything close to that? Um, I would say that I'm spiritual and I'm open to the idea of there being something else. I feel like I believe in connectivity and energy and people meeting for the right reasons and people connecting for the right reasons and so I feel in a way that Adam is still around but sometimes it's it's less apparent than others do you think that you will see Adam again one day I certainly hope so What would be the first thing you'd say to him? I'm sorry. I think I'll say I'm sorry. Again, I I know it hasn't been that long, but do you feel like you have learned anything from losing your brother? I've learned that life doesn't fit in clear lines or boxes and we're all limited with our time on this planet and so any opportunities that we have to show or receive love we should take because your age doesn't necessarily define whether or not you're going to have we don't know how much longer we have. 
regardless of if we're healthy and young. There are accidents that happen all of the time. And so today could be my last day on the planet. Tomorrow could be any day could be every day is really a blessing. And I know that's cliche, but I feel that more so now than I ever have before. And Nuria, to anyone that might be listening to this that has just lost somebody close to them, maybe in a similar way to you, is there anything that you could say that might comfort them or, you know, kind of like that letter that you received from your friend's uncle? Is there anything that you can think of that might reassure somebody else? I think if I'm being completely honest... There's nothing you can say to someone that's lost. Someone that will give them hope, I think. That my advice would be to surround yourself with people that you love and that love you. And try to remember that all we can do is live in the spirit of those we've lost. And part of that just means to give and receive love. Is there anything in particular that helped get you through your grief? I think you got me through a lot of it. If I, so I was in Brussels and I was alone in the apartment and without really an end in sight because of the lockdown and I wasn't quite ready to give up on Europe or my dreams there and you had asked me to go to Ireland and I kind of brushed it off the first few times you asked and and then I just booked my ticket and being around people that I love and that love me and having the opportunity to be so close to nature and being able to speak about Adam in a way that I was like explaining him to people who didn't know him was really nice. I loved listening to you talk about Adam and the memories you had together as a, as children. It was always so lovely seeing you like rummage through this little file that you had in your head on Adam as I would ask you about his favorite movies or what music he liked or what was his, what were his hobbies. I know I never got to meet him, which is strange because we're so close uh, it's sad that I never got to, to meet your younger brother but in the three months that you were here I felt I got to know a little bit of him and he sounded like a, a, a wonderful person thank you I think another really lovely thing that came from your time here in Ireland was the relationship that you developed with the Irish Sea and how important it became to get in each day um, can you talk a little bit about that? I really love being in the water, but being from Canada and from Ottawa, so it's the valley, I don't have too many opportunities to go into the sea. And so there is a level or there was a level of me that was always a bit afraid of the unknown, of the vastness of the ocean, to the point where the sound of crashing waves would give me a little bit of anxiety. And... I went to Honduras when I was living in Antigua to try to overcome this fear and I went and I dove for a week 
and I dove while I was in Colombia and Peru as well. But that fear of just jumping into the sea. Yes, mom. Two, please. That was your mom asking you how many slices of pizza you wanted for dinner. Is that funny? I should have edited it out, but I'm not going to. Oh, where was I? So that feeling of jumping, that feeling of jumping into the sea without any equipment on me is still something that's quite, was something that was quite scary. I keep saying is, it's not anymore. But being in Ireland this past summer, we went in the sea nearly every day. And it really became something quite beautiful and cleansing. Every single time I got out of the sea, I didn't want to get out. And as soon as I did, I just felt a wave of relief almost. Nuria, thank you so much for talking to me about Adam and sharing your experience of grief while it's still so raw. It's such a privilege to know you and have you as a friend. Thank you so much for being on the Nosy Fox podcast. Mm-hmm.